Welcome to the final episode of Series 8 of York Hospital Ball. Our guest for the finale is a former player, Jamal Fifield, who is a key squad player in 2012 before cementing himself as a regular starter when York City were back in the Football League. Jamal has gone on to represent the likes of Grimsby, Gateshead, Wrexham, and is still playing regularly in the National League for Boreham Wood. Here, Jamal looks back on his career so far. York Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, a charity celebrating 58 years on air this year. We rely on donations to keep providing a service to those in York Hospital. If you feel able to donate, then please visit our Just Giving page, justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio, justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. But for now, and for the final time this series, Enjoy Dan speaking to Jamal Fifield. Thanks so much, Jamal, for coming on. Really looking forward to hearing about that Grimsby goal as I've talked to you about on, on text. One of my favourite goals ever going to an away game. You joined York City when you were 21, but you'd already been with Leighton Orient as a youngster and then Maidenhead. I just wondered, when did you first decide you wanted to become a professional footballer? Well, firstly, thanks for having me on. Going back to my career, it's just, I don't know, it's just like every little boy's dream, you know? You grow up playing in the streets with your friends and then I guess later on down the line, you always think, you know what, I'd love to be a professional footballer. You see all the like the guys, the famous people on TV... You see the beautiful stadiums that they're playing at. And you want to be a part of that, you know. But when I, when I say I really knew I wanted to be, I'm not really sure in, in actual fact. Um, if you probably spoke to my mum, she would have said I said it pretty early on. But I would say when I really became real, really focused on becoming a professional around my teenage years, around 13, 14. But that's when I joined Leighton Orient um, and I really saw a pathway for myself. You made your pro debut as an 18-year-old for Maidenhead as a sub in a 3-3 draw with Haven't Walt Louisville. What do you remember about that game? It sounds quite a crazy match to make your debut in. Do you remember much about it? In terms of that game, I think when I joined there, I was wet behind the ears as a young boy, you know. I'd come out of a youth system that I hadn't played many reserve games. Although I broke into reserve team at Leighton Orient, I hadn't played many games. So that was really much a, a bit of a culture shock, to say the least, really. You know, you're playing with people that are now fighting for things. You know, you've got people playing for their families, playing for their roof over their heads and stuff like that. So it was a really eye-opening experience and one that I was really grateful for. Because you see a lot of players these days when they're in a the younger age group, they're still in the under-23 setup. I was quite lucky in the sense that I got thrown into men's football quite early. And um, it's a big thanks to the manager at the time, Johnson Hippolyte, who gave me that chance. Yeah, it's interesting that because that, that was my next question, actually. I, put, I think you played 96 senior appearances for Maidenhead by the time you were age 21. And I was yeah. just going to say, is that a better grounding, really, than, than being at a football league academy and, and not playing any games in that time? I don't know. It's one of those things where it, it, there's been a lot of debate over the, over the years about what's better for players to go into. I think experience of a real game and real consequences of three points or whether you're not whether you win or whether you lose and relegations and promotions, I think yes, in that in that sense, it's definitely better to get out there into the real world. But at the end of the day, I think the under-23 setup and, and those youth team setups are fundamental for children's learning and, ki- and young adults learning, you know. So I don't think you can have one without the other. I think for most players, it is better to get out and play in men's football when you are as, as young as possible, really. But at the same time, not everyone's ready at the same time. Some, some are late bloomers and some are much um, ready a lot sooner. So um, it's a tough one. But in my experience, having had a lot of youth team players and, and under-23 players come alone to the clubs I've been at, you do see a little bit of uh, naivety in their play. 
So, yeah, I think maybe it would be best for players to get out and experience real football. I look back at some sort of old articles and it seemed you were really determined to sort of make a career in football. And I mean, even a trial at York City, which is a long, long old way from Maidenhead. Is, is that sort of proof that, that you were sort of willing to step out your comfort zone to become a professional footballer? I've always said that I didn't do the best in school. So I realised that it was either a make or break football, really. I didn't know what I would do unless... I did become a professional footballer. I didn't really want to know what I would have to become. So it was kind of like sink or swim, if you will. Um, I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have a choice. So if there was something that I was going to do, it was going to be football. So I made sure I dedicated my life to it. And if it meant driving up to York and living in York in a place I've never been in my life, being a London boy, then so be it. And, it, and if that was the, the pathway for me to become, to realise my dream, I had no qualms about it. You know, you've got some people that, would rather stay around their home comforts um, and staying in their comfort zone. And, and sometimes, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people play better when they're around their friends and family, but not everyone's got that luxury. And at that time, York City came calling and that's why I had to go. That's what I had to do. And, and how did York City come calling? Was it was it someone scouted you? Was it, did you have an agent back then who, who sort of sorted out trials and stuff like that? My understanding, there was an agent who had strong connections with York City and they were looking for players at the time who played my position. At the time, they were looking for a left back and they had a great left back in James Meredith, but they felt he needed some competition, you know? So that's where I came in. I, I wasn't brought in to take his place. I was brought in to be a bit of competition. And as everyone knows, when you've got a bit of competition, you have to raise your game that, that much more. But you could also play centre-half as well. So it was one of those things where they saw potential in me and um, being a young player. And that's, and that's where the agent put my name forward. I went up there on, a, I think it was a, a week's trial. And after, I think, two days, I got signed. So, yeah, that was the start, really. The start kind of continued because you debuted for York City at Tamworth. I think you scored in a 3-1 win. Was that kind of a perfect day for you, thinking, I've cracked it? Do you know what? I didn't think I cracked it. But I did think, oh, this National League stuff, or conference as it was, conference premier, um, isn't that hard after all. But in terms of the goals that I scored in that game, that was probably my favourite goal. You know, I remember when you said that the Grimsby goal was your favourite. That was my favourite goal. It was the scruffiest goal ever. I nearly missed and I was on the like, I was literally on the line and I nearly missed it. But that was my favourite goal and it was, it, was a, it was a lovely debut. And it was a strong experience as well because it was my debut against opposition that I'd never played before and in a new system, in a new team. So it was amazing at the time. You carried on playing really well and then you, you kind of dropped off a little bit and you ended up back at Maidenhead on loan. I just wondered, was that you pushing for that loan move or was that the club kind of trying to encourage you to go back to sort of build confidence again? I've always played, you know, so I've been lucky enough throughout my career that I've always played wherever I've been and not starting, I was getting a bit bored to be honest. I was getting a bit restless. I felt like I was stagnating and anytime I feel like that, I feel like I needed to go out and improve and prove to the manager that I could be an asset to him. So at the time I wasn't playing and I wasn't in his plan. And at the time, I don't think I was going to get a new deal to be honest, but the deal was to go and get a month away and come back and, and see, see where we're at. Um, and when I came back, we had a raft of injuries. I think at the time, Dan Parzo got injured. I think T.Y. was injured. And it's one of those things where one of the coaches that made that at the time said, there's no point you going back, they don't want you. And I was like, well, I'm determined to prove myself at that level um, and show them what I can do. When I went back, I got a run in the team and earned a new deal. So it all proved to be the right decision in the end. And when you did come back, again, one of my regular people who listen to the podcast will know, I often talk about the 3-0 FA Cup win over Rotherham as a real key kind of time for, for certainly Gary Mills when, when he came in. And and uh, your kind of role in that, that victory, you know, you had a rampaging run, I think, from your own half and then got brought down for the penalty. It almost like kind of announced you back to the York fans, like, like you were kind of good enough to play in that side and, and, and had a key 
role. Do you, do you remember much about that night? So I remember uh, when I came back, I started coming off the bench in a more of a left winger role. When I was younger, I was a left winger, I was a centre midfielder. But as I got older, I moved back into defence. So I think Gary Mills saw something in me that when the um, opposition were tired, that he could use my attributes and my speed and uh, my directness to the team advantage, you know, and that's and that's where that's where that came in. And, and again, credit to Gary Mills because he saw something in me, and I've never got a bad word to say about him. Unbelievable coach who I owe a real lot to um, over my career. But literally, when when it was for him, he was so straightforward with me. He said, "This is what I want from you." Really made it clear and direct what he wanted, and that's what I went on there done. You know, it's one of those things where you. As a player, you just got to use your best attributes as much as you can. Don't overcomplicate it. And that's what I went out there and did. Um, and that was one of those games. Yeah, and, and you're right. You know, you, you would play left wing one week, left back another, centre back another week. Did, did you have a sort of favourite position back then? Or do, do you have a favourite position that you, that you play? Uh, you know what? At that time, and like I say to all young players, just get in where you can fit in. If, as long as you're on the pitch, it doesn't matter where you're playing. The main thing is that you're playing football, you're getting minutes. And that's what it was like for me. I didn't care where I was playing for York City. The club, the fans, the reputation that it's got. I was just proud to be a player for them. And we was, on a, we was on a great run as well. So at that time, when you're really playing well and the team's doing well, it doesn't matter really where you play, you know. Um, I was just proud to be a part of it. And do I have a favourite position? As I'm getting older, yes, defence, because you don't have to run as much. But um, <laughs> centre-half is definitely, I'd say, um, the central role of a three, which I'm currently playing now, is my favourite role. You signed a new contract at the end of that season, but you sort of had to bide your time again the following campaign. And, and I think your first start came against Bath City, which was a, a real key game looking back. I think the team had fall, dropped off a little bit, but they got a scrappy win. And then you scored your first... First goal of the season, not not too long after that, a back heel against uh, Braintree in a 6-2 win. Again, that was a, a crazy match at Booth and Crescent. What do you remember about that? I was actually playing against a friend of mine, um, Aswa Thomas, and, and I scored a back heel against, past him. So I've still got the pictures, actually. Sometimes they pop up on my feed, like little flashbacks and stuff. But no, at that time we were rolling. We was playing unbelievable football under Gary Mills. Um, it was really exciting for the fans to see, and it was really exciting for the players to play in it. You know, every week we had... I don't know whether it was Jason up top with Ash Chambers or Blairy on the other side, Scott Kerr pulling strings. It was just, it was, just, it was just amazing to be a part of that team. And and sometimes it would go like that where we'd play teams, rush them off the park if, if you will. You know, we'd, we'd we'd move the ball so quick that teams couldn't get near us. You know, we had a thing where in training we'd only play two touch football, and then that would come into the games where the, we'd move the ball so quick that teams couldn't get near us. And on some days it'd be hot, tough, and on other days we'd win six two, and I'd pop up with a back kill. <laughs> did it frustrate you at any point then being a squad player? Because you did say before that you you know you like to play, and and there were times in that season where the team were doing well, but you weren't getting a, a kind of look in. Or, or were you happy to sort of like just keep developing your game? Because you're still quite a young player at this point. I was young, and I did. There were stretches in the in in the um, season where I'd have say a ten a ten game streak or a fifteen game streak, and I'd be out of the team and in and out. But what I learned over the years is um, young players is all about consistency. I mean, the best players are consistent week in week out, and that's what I learned from the likes of Ty and Chris. Smith and Chris Doig, those guys were consistent eights every single week. Um, and that's something that I learned to build into my game as I got older. But at that time, is I was still finding my feet as a player. So there was there was weeks where I'd be doing something really, really well. And then there'll be a week where I think, did we play? I might have been a Fleetwood team or I made a mistake, an, an uncharacteristic mistake, but one that a young player would make. And that was just one of those things where I was still learning and still adapting. But because we were going so well in the league, there wasn't really any room for those kind of errors because the league was so tight. So I understood 
um, that I had to bide my time. And I understood that I had to learn as I was playing. And to be fair, under a different manager, I probably wouldn't have played too many games. So I couldn't have too, looking back now, I couldn't have too many qualms about how I was used in that season. And there were some real key moments in that season that, that you played a massive part of, as obviously I'm going to come on to the, the Grimsby away game. And it, it's a favourite away game of mine for a number of reasons. One of them is because one of the people I went with sadly passed away a few years ago, but he was there that night. And, and, and the game itself, it was just... A crazy one, York, York played so well, we're 2-0 up, cruising, suddenly Grimsby came back to 2-2 from nowhere and then the last minute you sort of pick it up in your own half, you're driving forward and I've spoken to Gary Mills about this at one of his book events recently and he he sort of recalled it and he said, I was just shouting on the on the side, pass it Jamal, pass it Jamal <laughs> and just kept saying it louder and louder and then obviously you you, you ping it in the bottom corner. What Again, what's, what's your memories of that? You said you remember quite vividly ones where you, you've had a key, key part in it. You must remember a lot about this game. Oh, I do, I do and in that game, so we were cruising and Blundell Park's a really tough place to go. They're the good manager in Paul Hurst, who's gone back there recently with Chris Doig, obviously played for York as well. And we were cruising to New York. It was actually one of my mistakes that brought them back into the game. Routine clearance on my right foot, instead of just kicking it straight, I've kicked it to the right, but they brought it down, quick little bit of play, they've crossed it, they've scored. So as a player, you always think, if I make a mistake, I've got to rectify it in some way. If I make a goal goal line clearance or if I get a chance from a corner, I'm going to score a goal. So it just so happened that on this occasion, the ball dropped down in, in our own half and I took a good touch. And it just looked as though like the sea parted basically that I'd saw a clear route to go and I just put my head down and I did hear the gaffer shouting, pass it, pass it. By this point, I was thinking, I'll pass it when I get close to the goal, I can see a pass. Because at, at that stage, I was thinking, if I pass it now, it's not it's the, the tat's kind of dead. Last chance saloon, I've just ran through, took a touch to my left, and just here as hard as I could with my head down. And luckily, it went in. And then, cue crazy scenes when we all nearly ran into the crowd. And it was amazing. Come, it was not a comeback, but it was an amazing goal, amazing occasion, and um, one that lives long in the memory. As you said, a lot of people come up to me and said that's their favourite goal. And even I speaking to Paul Hurst, of the manager of that day, he even remembers it and says it was a real kick in the teeth for them as well. It was. It was, and also. Massive three points, I think, at the time. You know, it was, it was a time where, like you said, that league was tight all the way through, wasn't it? And, and three points were really big. And I, I just wondered there, like you said, said you made a mistake. I, I did have that noted down, but I thought I'm, I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> and, um, but then you having made the mistake and having that in your head that I need to rectify it, I'm just sort of imagining the consequence that if you, if Gary Mills is shouting, pass it, pass it, and you blaze that over the bar, I mean, you would have just, you'd have been not wanting to go back into the dressing room after the game, would you? Oh, and that's the thing, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to let your teammates down. Not obviously no player ever wants to make a mistake and doesn't make a mistake on purpose, but these things happen in football, you know? And it was one of those things where I knew how important that game was. And, and sometimes you take these things on and think it's, it's your time and no one else in this moment is going to be able to do it apart from you rightly or wrongly and on that occasion um, I got lucky I suppose having speaking to James McCohen who was the goalkeeper at the time he said it should never have gone in but hey it's, it's, it was meant to be yeah and another key moment as well was the FA Trophy semi-final away to, to Luton Town which I think was on your birthday I kind of looked at the dates it was the first time cross from yourself to, to for Matty Blair to head it in the last minute to score I mean looking back at it A it was a fantastic cross but B to sort of do that first time as well you know a lot of people I know it was the last minute and everything but a lot of people would have taken a touch to steady themselves were you consciously hitting that early to sort of not let defenders set because obviously you're a defender yourself yeah do you know what myself and Ashley Chambers that year had a great connection you know? whenever we played together we knew exactly what each other wanted we knew what kind of balls we wanted we wanted knew where the ball placement was I knew if he was going to run long he'd come back short and that would put off a defender and Ash also knew the right way to set me the ball for a cross and we always spoke about okay how's, what's the best way 
to get in the box and the best cross to deliver. And in that season, there was many a times where he'd set me and I just cross it first time. Because as you said, as defenders, you don't get your time to set. Blair was on fire that, that season. So literally everything he touched went in the back of the net. So yeah, it was one of those things where me and Ashes had that connection where he knew how wonderful and he believed in my technique and I believe in my technique as well. So there was no, there was no thing, there was no thought of mine to have a touch. It was just putting the ball in the danger zone and hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Mike, Mike Blair did, did kind of, he was on such a great score and run, wasn't he? But but I guess that one, he, you know, he couldn't really miss. The cross was that good, that right pinpoint onto his head, that, that, it, that it was perfect. You start the first leg against Mansfield in, in the playoff and you had a hand in the goal in the in the away game as well. What, what's your memories of those two games? Because they were pretty fraught, weren't they? And they were, they were kind of quite toxic atmospheres. And do, do you think Mansfield sort of felt they'd done enough in the kind of game in the first leg, you know, having the second one at home? Maybe so. I remember the throw-in. I think I started with the throw-in and I played a one-two over to one of the boys who crossed it in. But yeah, it was, it's one of those games, you know, where form goes out the window. It's just who's got the metal on the day to, to, to go the extra mile. Those are always tough games against Mansfield. A tough place to go with huge crowds I got behind them and a huge pitch as well. So, but a we had a long throw as well that Gia Hagen used to have, oh, didn't he? Honestly, honestly, his throws were literally like nothing I've ever had to defend in my life. And they used it, they used it to their to their best of their ability. We had some big players in our team, you know, players of experience that we also, we were, at the end of the day, we were to stand up and be men and put our bodies on line when it counted. And again, Blair plops up with another goal. So yeah, it was it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing day, you know. The FA the FA Trophy coinciding with the league form as well. It's not an easy thing to do, you know, especially with um, the squad that we had. You know, there wasn't many. There was, a, well, there was quite a few changes, but there wasn't massive change in the squad over the season. So credit to Gary Mills for rotating us the way he did and keeping us all fresh. Yeah, because that, that, I think that was a worry of mine at the time as a supporter, thinking it's good that we're in the trophy, but but kind of we want to get back to the football <laughs> league. And uh, obviously, it feels a long way away from for York City now. But but at the time, I was thinking, oh, you know, you wanted to celebrate of the trophy but at the same time you, you didn't want to kind of lose out on, on going up the, the FA Trophy final itself you, you came on um, in the 83rd minute against Newport what was it like to come on at Wembley and York were 2-0 up at the time so it must have been a really good occasion actually to come on on 83 minutes you know that yeah. pressure probably wasn't there and, and and you could sort of enjoy it yeah to be honest I was really disappointed not to start because I had played so many games in the league and in this in the, and in this obviously the season it was really disappointing not to start that game but that disappointment fades really quickly when you realise that it's not an individual sport is a team sport. If we won as a team, then it's not about um, the individuals and, and who gets the accolade. So it didn't really matter after a while, but it just, it was one of those things where that's what you dream of as a young boy to play at Wembley and, and, and you're playing at those stadiums and your family in the crowd and the big crowds are there. And obviously we went there again a week later, but it was an amazing occasion to, to walk on that turf. I went there last week to watch, to watch England versus Ivory Coast and just to think, wow, I played here. It was crazy. I couldn't believe that I actually played in this stadium and, my family in that stadium watching me. So at the, at the time, you didn't realise. I didn't. I wasn't taken in. I was too young to understand what I'd actually what I was actually doing. But now, as I've got older, I can I can really take it in and appreciate it. Players can play for a number of years, can't they? Never get anywhere near Wembley, and, and of course, you guys did twice in a week. You know, I know you didn't play play in the in the playoff final, but. It must have been incredible, um, you know, like the, the scenes on the streets with the open top bus parade and all that sort of thing. And, and just being a part of that squad, every player I've interviewed that were part, was part of that team sort of talk about the team spirit. You, you obviously clearly had such a close knit group and, and clearly kind of a, a quite close even even now, some of you. We did. And if I was disappointed on the FA Trophy, I was absolutely livid on the um, playoff final, especially after playing. I think I played over 30 games that year. But the manager saw something different um, and at the end of the day we got the result we wanted so I couldn't actually complain because then I started the next season in League 2 
So at the end of the day, what transpired on the day compared to what happened overall was, was really minute. But in terms of the open top um, bus parade and seeing the fans out in the street, it's something that lived me forever, you know? Like to this day, it brings a smile to my face and all the boys, when I talk to them, we, we all reminisce sometimes about it. And, and it was amazing to see for the city. York is such a beautiful city anyway, beautiful town anyway. It's just one of those places where it's so small and uh, it's got so much history around it. To see the town literally packed and a bus going through it. It was amazing. I can't really put it into words even now, literally 10 years later, but it's something that will live with me forever. And as I said, I didn't grasp what I'd done at the time. And now having played so many other seasons and seen how hard it is to gain promotion, it's, it was really amazing feat. You had your best run of games for Yoxie, I think the following season in the Football League. You know, you were a key, key man kind of uh, in that first half of the season, certainly. And, you know, you played in a, a 3-0 win over Burton on New Year's Day and, and things were looking really rosy for Yoxie, weren't they? And then that bad run sort of kicked in. What what was that like for you as a player? Because again, you're still, still quite young at this stage, aren't you? It was just so many draws, weren't there? And, and Yoxie just couldn't buy a win. No, that's what it was. It's one of those, it was in a tough run really the team was still we were still together we were still believing just the things just weren't going right for one reason or another we just couldn't get that win that we needed it, it literally I felt like all we needed was one win a scrappy 1-0 win would have got us straight back on the horse and we would have been fine but fortunately it didn't really happen for us um, and yeah it was it was, it was was great at the time to be playing my first time playing in the football league uh, and then I really felt like a professional football at that point that's when I really felt like as though I had realised a dream and then I realised that actually you know what there's more I want out of this I want to keep going and I want to keep pushing on and going up the leagues but unfortunately that wasn't the case with York City but that season was it was, it was a good season overall and I was really I was really happy to to contribute the way I did. Yeah, I mean, personally, like I say, you know, you, you made, made so many starts that season. Obviously, Gary Mills ended up losing his job, which seems, again, even looking back now, it seems so harsh, you know, only kind of eight months, I think, after that Wembley double. What was your relationship like with Gary? And, and you must have been pretty sad to see him sacked. Definitely, you know. He's up there with my top three managers that I've had throughout my career. Honestly, um, what he did for my football understanding, my football IQ, was immense. Football, he had me playing daily lessons that he taught me. It was amazing, you know, and he, and he signed me for when I, when I signed for him at Wrexham as well. So, and we've always had a good relationship. He even messaged me recently when um, Bromwood played Everton in the FA Cup. Um, so we've still got a relationship and, I'm, and, he's, and he's still doing well. It's just one of those things where it's the nature of the game, you know. Yes, it is harsh, but that's football at the end of the day. New York City, have they recovered from that? Who knows? But it's tough, you know, because he, he was such a legend at the club and maybe his second spell maybe soured his reputation a little bit. But at the same time, what he did for the club could never be diminished. I totally agree. And you only sort of played five times, I think, in the following season under Nigel Worthing. And, it's, and they were kind of mainly cup games, I think. Were you just not his sort of player? What, what, what sort of relationship did you have with him? Yeah, football's a game of opinions. Managers come in and they like different players. Brought a young lad in on loan, Charlie Taylor, who's now playing the Premier League. So he's probably justified in not playing me. Good player, great manager. What he's done speaks for itself in, it, in football. But it's one of those things where sometimes you, you, you have a manager that loves you and sometimes you have a manager you have to prove wrong. And to be fair to him, he did give me a chance when he first came in. And I didn't take that chance. I'm old enough and true enough to admit that. I didn't. I probably didn't play to the best of my ability on that time. So he felt as though he couldn't depend on me. And at the end of the day, when you're going over the pitch, a manager has to feel that he can rely on you and depend on you in any situation. And maybe I didn't do that for him. So no hard feelings there. It's just, it's just, it's just football, you know. Um, at the end of the day, as you saw, Gary Mills got sacked. Then players get sacked as well. It's just, it's just the nature of the game. Uh, you ended up joining Grimsby on on loan, and you know played in their playoff defeat to Gateshead, which I think was under Gary Mills. So there was a bit of a bit yeah. of a kind of connection there. When you signed for Grimsby, were they sort 
sort of expecting this left back who can sort of drive forward and hit it from 25 yards or definitely that's <laughs> what the manager said to me in the first meeting you know he said to me that goal that you scored I'm expecting you to score another one unfortunately I didn't but that was another great experience playing at a, a club a statue of, of Grimsby and um, was a great experience you know again living in a different city that's one of the things that I've loved about being a footballer I've, I've travelled all around the country playing and, and playing a game that I love so that's something I've been really grateful for but yeah that playoff final was a tough one it was a tough one uh, playoff um, semi sorry was a tough one anytime you lose after getting so close to your my goal is really hard to deal with but again great experience um, and I enjoyed my time then. you ended, ended up signing for, for Wellin where you played for a season before Gary Mills signed you again uh, this time for Wrexham was that quite an easy decision for you to, to re-sign for Gary? After Grimsby there wasn't much on the table for me which was, a, which was a bit of a shock, to be honest. I probably thought because I got promoted and I played for Grimsby that there'd be clubs queuing, but it really wasn't the case. So I kind of had to rebuild my career um, and reputation at Welling, a club that wasn't known for finances, wasn't known for fans, wasn't known for much really, apart from a solid family-run club. So I, I played there for a full season, got my confidence back, which maybe took a knock after getting released from York City and not get, getting retained at Grimsby. So that, that, was a, that was a good season for me. And then going back with um, Gary Mills, it wasn't a hard decision at all. You know, I knew what he represented and I knew what the club, as big as Wrexham represented as well, you know, obviously you see what they're doing now, but at the time they were still one of the biggest clubs in the league and as they are now. So it was another exciting um, project moving to Wales, which was somewhere I'd never been before again. But no, it was it was a it was a great experience, and I was there with my mate Adriano as well, who obviously played for York as well. So I had, I had my buddy there with me, so it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like like you say, massive club, aren't they? And and Adriano Moke said when I interviewed him that that the football that Wrexham played at the early part of that season was as good as the kind of 2012 side at York. So that that's obviously very high praise indeed. I mean, why why did it not quite work out? Because I looked at some of the results as well. You beat Gate, said four 0 beat Chester. Freno, who obviously a massive rival and I think there was a crowd of nearly 7,000 there. At that point, you were sort of inside the playoffs, but then it sort of faltered, didn't it? And, and Gary ended up kind of moving on later on. Why, why did it not quite work when Adriano says that, the, you know, the team was obviously um, no, really good? Oh, he's totally right. Some of the football that we were playing was unbelievable, as you, as you expect from a team run by Gary Mills. It's just that I think we, we lacked a kind edge after Christmas where, where maybe our goals dried up a little bit um, and then the injuries hit us as well. And then, and then as those two things coming together, our form kind of dipped. So it's kind of hard to get back on the horse as a team and Gary was trying everything you know the gaffer was trying to um, keep the spirits high him and Kasky were, were doing everything on the training field to get us playing but again there was times when we played say uh, Tranmere away where we had an unbelievable result a great game and we won that one it's just one of those things where sometimes the results and the performances don't align so sometimes we were playing really well and we just wasn't getting the results we'd get we'd get caught out by a lapse in concentration or, or, or a corner that would go in and a sloppy goal but for the most part I just think the form injuries um, all come at the same time and it, and it was it was a tough one. It was a tough one. And also people would come to Wrexham and they'd play their best. So it's kind of like when you go to one of the bigger clubs and you raise your game a couple of levels. And I don't think everybody could have handled that situation each every each week. I mean, I was quite surprised that, that you ended up turning down a new deal at Wrexham and, and moved back up north to, to Gateshead. I mean, that, that must be quite a big call for your career. Uh, given the relationship you had with Gary Mills and, and the fact Wrexham, you know, a massive club compared to Gateshead, who are a lot smaller and get a lot smaller kind of fan base. What what was your thinking behind that move? You know what? At the time, it was it was it was a, it was a new challenge. I'm, I'm all for challenges. I had this uh, quite an identical deal on the table, but the project at Gateshead 
Um, and the players that I saw them bringing in, I thought they'd have a real chance at promotion. You know, they, they had we brought in Liam Hogan, we brought in um, Danny Johnson, Ryan Bowman. We had a really good team. Um, Manny Smith was there. So the players I was, I was coming in, I was thinking, you know what, we could have a real chance of doing something in this league. Not to say that I thought Wrexham couldn't. It was just something about the project that Neil Aspen um, sold to me that really excited me. And then I went even further north because obviously it's in, it's in Newcastle. But again, it wasn't too far from York, so I was used to it. But yeah, it was a big call, but I'm, I've never been afraid to make calls that are a bit unexpected. In hindsight, was it the right move? Who knows? Maybe not. But at the end of the day, now Wrexham didn't get promoted that season and nor did Gates did. So it's kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't the wrong move, wasn't the right move, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned there some of the players and, and I had those wrote down there, like Ryan Bohm and Danny Johnson. And we'll come on to the, to the York City losing 6-1 at Gateshead, which was a terrible night in York City's history, possibly arguably one of York City's worst ever sides, if you ask some of the supporters. But I think whilst York City were very, very bad that night, Gateshead were obviously very, very good as well. And I think, again, sort of hindsight and looking back on it a bit maturely, I, I, I can kind of see that now as at the, at the time, obviously, you're just seething because you've lost 6-1 to Gateshead. But, but there were some good players at Gates and you obviously scored one of the goals that night. How strange yeah. was it? Because it must have been weird to as someone who doesn't get loads of goals. I imagine every time you do score, it's a it's a good yeah. moment. But Definitely. at the same time, you probably were, were I think you were a little bit respectful of, of York and the time you had there. So was it a strange sort of mixed emotion? No, definitely. Anytime I've played York, or any, any of my old teams, there's that respect there because I, I've loved every time at every single club I've been at. And going back to that team that we had at Gates, we had so many good players that even we had um, Paddy McLaughlin in the midfield as well, just pulling strings, yeah. you know what he can do on the ball. So it was one of those games where I, did, I, I didn't I did recognise the York that I was playing against. And I don't think it was uh, the fault of the players or the manager. I just, it, just, it, it just seemed a, a cloud around the club at the time. And it seemed as though after the second goal went in that their, their heads went down a little bit. And we grew in confidence, you know, and that can happen. When clubs are on a bad run, if you get the early goal, then the floodgates might open. That's exactly what happens, you know. So when I did score, I thought, yeah, this this might be a tough one for York to come back from. But I'm glad to see that York are now on the rise again um, under a good manager in Askey. So hopefully you guys are moving up in the league and probably getting those player positions and you never know what could happen. Could be playing Boreham Wood next season, possibly, unless oh, you get, get promoted. So. I'm hoping Gates said York or Kidderminster because my old mate Russell Penn is manager down there. So any of those three, I'm, I'm more than happy. Gates said, I think you came eighth and then 17th you know is, is it sort of fair to say that again that that sort of side maybe underachieved a little bit like like the Wrexham side did then 100% we underachieved 100% just looking through the personnel we've got two strikers there that are playing in the Football League now James Bolton playing in the Football League now Liam Hogan about to Win, win this league so yeah we definitely had Sam, even um, Sam Jones who was unbelievable that season we definitely had a nucleus and a team that definitely should have challenged a lot more but again we just probably didn't have the nows at the right times the crunch times of the season to go that extra step I think it was Forest Green that won it that year and they were just head and shoulders above everybody you know so it was a shame it was a shame and it's, it's one of those things that I look back on now and look through the team and thought yeah we really let one go there you moved on to Boreham Woods and, and it looks from the outside to be such a great fit for yourself I mean despite the fact you got sent off I think on your debut but but you know you're captain of the club seems yeah. like like you know just just seeing your tweets and, and just your kind of manner around uh, Boreham Wood it, it seems like it, it it's a real good fit for you as a kind of person and as at the stage of your career is that is that a true reflection do you think yeah yeah the sending off came in my second the first game of the second season away to Torquay um, so that wasn't a good start straight red wasn't a red in my opinion but hey I'm not the referee am I so um, but yeah in terms of Boreham Wood it is a great fit from the chairman down to 
the CEO, down to the manager, down to the fans, down to the squad. I love everything about the club. It's a tight-knit squad. It's a tight-knit group. Obviously, we haven't got the most fans, but the fans that do come, um, they're always getting behind us. And I'm one of the captains. So the captain, the, the main captain is injured at the moment. But anytime he's injured, I take over. And, and yeah, I've, I've kind of taken on the role as one of the, the elder statesmen of the team. And I'm trying to look out for everyone and steer the young boys in the right direction. But yeah, it is a great fit. I'm just on another two-year deal, which will take me up to six years um, by the end of it. So it's, I've, I've been quite fortunate that they that they believed in me and, and I'm really enjoying my time, you know. It's one of those things where I'm back in London, um, which was never really an issue, to be honest, throughout my career. I didn't mind where I travelled, but being back in London has, has been a, a real big help, being around the family and stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying my time here and hopefully we can we can do something special this season. I was going to say, because you, you're right up there, aren't you? And, and I noticed you were kind of right up there in, in your first season, I think, only losing to, to Harrogate in the playoffs. And, and obviously everyone kind of knows about you've recently played at, played Everton and from the bits I was watching there was large spells of that game where, where you were kind of matching them as a side is promotion the aim then for Borenwood do you think Borenwood can become a football league club that is the aim that is, I think that's the aim of all clubs in our league you know we want to get promoted and we have a realistic chance of it recently we struggled I don't think that's a secret maybe the FA Cup took its toll on us but at the end of the day we're just trying to get the wins on the board to get us back to where we want to be, you know. We're more than capable of it because we've done it all season. Um, it's now that teams have, have maybe sussed uh, a bit of our game out. So we've got to adjust and that's what we've been trying to do in recent weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how how the, how the season goes, but we're, we're fully prepared and the managers put some tasks in place for us and we're going to try and implement them as best we can, you know. Um, it's one of those it's one of those seasons where we've had a great cup run, but that's gone now. You know, we can't, rel- we can't look back on that with any fondness. It's over. Um, at the end of the season when all said and done yeah we can look back on it and say pat ourselves on the back but we've got a job to do at the end of the day I think if we were now to drop out of the title race um, it'll be a real disappointment and all the good work up until now will be for nothing and that Everton game in particular I noticed you were on the bench but you'd, you'd been injured I think quite a few games beforehand that, that must have been really frustrating for you to be someone who's played a lot of games for Borenwood and then when it comes up to that good cut run and play a Premier League team you know to, to be maybe lacking that match fitness no definitely um, thanks to the manager I've played literally every game I've been fit since I've been at the club and unfortunately a couple of weeks prior to the Everton game I got injured I pulled my hamstring um, and as much as I would have loved to be on the pitch with the boys and experience that it just I just wasn't ready we've got to look at the bigger picture you know so yes as much as you don't get to play Everton every week in the Premier League at Goodison Park um, the league is a lot more important um, so I could have gone out there and made it even worse or instead I've, I've been back touchable I haven't pulled my hamstring again and I've, and I've been lucky enough to play through um, the 490s since I've been back so we're, we're just we're working at it and we're, we're trying to we're trying to stay strong but at the end of the day the most important thing is that that we, we sustain our league position and get back in the playoff places and we can look back as you said yes it would have been great for me to play in that game but these things happen for a reason you know and it's great to see some of the players especially Kane Smith who's an Everton supporter go out there and live a lifelong dream that he's had so it was it was great to see all the players and it was great for the fans to, see, to be out there and it was nice for me as well because I probably could have been in the stands but credit to manager who put me on the bench just so I could soak up soak up the atmosphere as well yeah nice touch and I, I know it's that you, you've been on uh, this sort of baller podcast a few times and I was really interested with with some of the things that you were saying on there you, you're obviously very conscious of sort of life after football and I think you've kind of got did you get a degree yourself and you've been putting people in touch with with kind of courses and stuff like that is that something that you're very aware of and, and how long has that been the case for you yeah so baller talk is a is a podcast is run by family assembly James um, Alabi and Media Lito and they just 
just have different guests on um, in football and just talk about um, the ups and downs of football, what it means to be a footballer. Um, and I was lucky enough to go on and speak because what I do now is I'm a mentor and trained to be a counsellor. And I, and I realised there's something in football that we haven't really got. There's a lot of mental stress that comes with being a footballer. That's not really spoken about. We're expected to just go out there and play and always have a put a brave face on but there's so many layers towards being being a footballer that I'm just trying to be that bridge that players can feel they can feel comfortable enough to talk about these things and yeah as you said life after football I'm, I'm not getting any younger you know so I've got to think about my second career after football and during my time at York I did a degree in uh, sports science it wasn't for me so I had to go back to the drawing board and found one which was um, professional sports writing and broadcasting, which I really enjoy. I've been lucky enough to do some co-commentary things for the BBC recently. And it's, and it's been amazing, you know, and I've, it's just something I've been always been telling players that uh, and your next contract is never guaranteed. So if you do get released, what have you been doing in the meantime to, to prepare yourself just in case that does happen, you know? So that's something I've always been telling guys, not to take their after ball, but just have one eye on after, after football because there's so many players out there and there's so much competition for, for contracts that it might just turn out that you don't have a contract at the end of the season, you know? So preparation is better than hoping. And was that something that was highlighted when, when you didn't get returned by Grimsby and York City released you and you said, you know, there wasn't any clubs queuing up for you was it was that sort of almost like a maybe subconsciously a time that you sort of thought oh actual fact you know if I don't find a club I am going to have to sort of get a, another career definitely definitely and sometimes in our league you know our contract's not guaranteed either so you might go throughout the summer and not get paid at all so you've got to think about how you're going to save your money throughout the um, season to tick you over in the off season so yeah when I did get released there was a time where I was thinking you know what this is a real reality shot I've got no money coming in I've got bills still going out how am I going to survive? And that's when, yeah, that is one of the times when I said to myself, do you know what? Because actually at York when I wasn't in the team, that's when I really thought, do you know what? This could change at any moment. So let me, let me, let me find something else that I can do to occupy my time and that could maybe bring some money in. Um, and that's when I did do the sports science degree. But yeah, it's one of those things, as I said, I try to tell all the players, just have a little think about what, you, what else you enjoy away from football. Just so if there is ever a time you, you do come out of it, that you can go into that and um, earn yourself a bit of money. And are players quite receptive to that? You know, if you've got like a young player at Boreham Wood coming in, are they quite receptive to kind of your advice or, or are they sort of thinking? Oh, yeah, they are. They are, they are receptive. But I think that's because we're at the, at the National League level, where it's no guarantee that you're at a Prem club. But... Some of the Premier League players that I do speak to are a little bit less receptive. But at the same time, um, it's just about making them understand that these things can happen, you know. It might not be a, a contract, it might be an injury that curls mm. your career. But it's also, we have so much time as players after training that sometimes we're just sitting in front of a TV or sitting on our Playstations or sitting on our phones and before we know it, the day's over and then we're just, we're just in the cycle of doing nothing. So I just try to make people aware that we've got so much time in a day, you've got so much things you can do. You're more than a player, you're more than an athlete. So go out there and, and, and find something else that interests you. Yeah, I think that was one of the one of the ones I listened to actually, where you were saying that people sort of say, "Oh, there's no time," and you were sort of saying, "What's your fact? There's loads of time. There's lo lots of time. If you want to do something, you have got time to do it." And I thought that was quite an interesting way because people do make assumptions like that and they do state kind of things like that like oh there's no time to do anything and yet when you actually boil it down there is you've got so much time honestly I always I always say to all the players that I speak to if you break down your day 
and actually think about what you've done in a day, you realise that for most of it, you just put it about and not done anything or anything that of substance. So as I said, I always try and make them aware of how much time and what they are actually capable of after football. If, okay, you've gone gym, you've done your extra training, you've gone training, eating, you sleep and now what? It's still only like two o'clock after football. Do you know what I mean? So mm. there's so much things that we can do as players. And even, not even just players, you know, sometimes people have worked nine to five, even before they, uh, um, similar to what one of my friends that I was saying earlier, he said, I've never got any time to go to the gym. And I said to him, well, you could probably wake up an hour earlier and just have a quick gym session. So it's, it's loads of little things that you can do. It's just about how much you want to do it. And it's coming up unbelievably 10 years um, since York City did the double. I mean, what, what's your memories, final memories, as we bring this interview to a close of, of that time? And, and, you know, are you in touch with any of those players still? I know obviously football yeah, moves on, doesn't it? And, and yeah. you've had, a, a, you know, a few different clubs and moved up all around the country. Is there any of those players that you still keep in touch with? Yeah, that's one of the things I hate about football, you know, that when you leave a club, sometimes you lose contact with players. Um, but in, in the recent years, I've made a much more of a conscious effort to keep in contact with my ex-teammates. And we're having a reunion sometime in May, I believe, to commemorate, obviously, 10 years since that special week in York City history. And yeah, I still talk to a lot of boys like Lamre, I still talk to Paz, I still talk to um, Ashley Chambers. So there's a lifelong friend, you know, and I saw Doggy the other day when we played Grimsby. So it's always fond memories. It's always it's always laughs and jokes. And it's, it's crazy how it's gone so quick. When I was a young player, someone said to me, cherish every moment because it goes in the blink of an eye. And now I'm 33, I can really attest to that. And I think that's, it's actually crazy how, thing, how, how it's turned out. And when I was there, I was like, you know what? I'll probably do this every year. I'll probably get to Wembley every year. I'll get a promotion every year. I've not had one since. So it is amazing. It's something that I, that will live with me forever, you know? Um, and I can't wait to see the boys. And um, it's, it's a shame that you move stadium because I love the old place, but I'm hearing great things about the new stadium. But there's something about that, that stand and fans under the lights on a Tuesday night that was really special that I really miss. And that's something that, as I said, will live me forever. Well, I hope for you that you get that promotion that you're after this season with Boreham Wood. That if you don't, I hope in the consolation that York have got promotion and you can come to the new stadium and play. So it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Jamal, and I really appreciate you taking up your time to, to speak to us. No, thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a blast. I really enjoyed it. Massive thanks to Jamal Fifield there. Really good one to end the series on. And thanks everyone for listening again to, to this series and, and appreciate all the comments and positive things people have said about it. And of course, you know, getting nominated for a couple of categories in the non-league Bible Awards, regardless of what the outcome is. I'm really, always really pleased to see so many people get behind it. So, so thanks again for that. Massive thank you also to James Charters, who is our regular producer and editor. I can't do these podcasts without him. Great, he can kind of edit the podcast the way that he does and uh, make them sound so slick and make me sound reasonably okay at interviewing. So I appreciate everything that he does and, and also kind of sourcing the YouTube clips for the promos and things like that. It's really great. In terms of the plans of the podcast going forward, obviously we've still got a live event coming up on Friday, May the 20th, and that's 10 years to the day since York beat Luton in the playoff final. Guests on the night are going to be Dave Flett as a bit of a support act, telling us about his um, what it was like being a journalist following the side through that season. Then we've got Dan Parsler, Scott Kerr, Michael Lingham. So still a few tickets available. We have still got some left, uh, not many though. Um, so, you know, please do get in touch with us direct or just go to the link on Eventbrite to, to get your tickets. Um, it's just £7.00. August to charity it's a Haxley Sports Bar so hopefully you can have as many York City fans and, and people who listen to the podcast down as possible 
and also just finally in terms of podcasts going forward that there is a, another two that I've got dates in the diary for so whether they're going to be specials or kind of going to another series I'm not quite sure at this stage it's, as many of you know I'm, I'm a teacher so kind of this is a really busy time for me coming up to exams and stuff so it just has to be what I can fit in unfortunately but uh, you know it's definitely this is definitely isn't going to be the last episode how many more we do I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure so thanks again for supporting it and uh, hopefully see you again soon